You are listening to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the advancing journeyman developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. What is bug? QA don't burn me. QA don't burn me. No more. In many development shops, people act like things are bugs when they're really not. If you're stuck in such a place, you need to know the difference between a real bug versus other things like feature requests, enhancements, and change requests so that you can control your environment rather than having it controlled for you. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, we have clients coming in to the office tomorrow. And like, well, they're not actually coming in directly into the office. They're they're coming in like we have an event mm-hmm. going on. So there's going to be like 30, I think. And so we're scrambling around, you know, getting last minute things polished. And, you know, like I have a script that I have to go through when we're showing the software product I've been working on and it's almost ready to go. And so I've been fixing bugs on it, you know, jump over here and you've got to fix a spelling error. And you go over here, there's a problem with the installer. And you go over here, there's a problem with the database. And then, oh, wait, that problem with the database was because it didn't port from the other box. And then it's just like, I know, Uh, you're just pulling strings and seeing what comes out, you know. And, And so we've been in that mode for a week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, today there were not a whole lot of breaks. Um, that's you, know, you and I were talking about that. We're just like both stressed to the max at this point. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much it. Other than I, t- I took last Wednesday off and I went to Nashville Software School. Also, I also went to the doctor, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I went to Nashville Software School and spoke on how to survive whiteboard interviews. And it was my first real speaking engagement. Like get up in front of a crowd and just yeah. do the thing, and uh, it went really well. So I, I'm going to be doing that again in September and probably, you know, more often as we go forward. The other thing I've got to, I've got to show you this and I know that the listeners can't see this on air, but I don't know if you can see my arm, this like six inch long bruise. Yeah. Um, that's where they took blood at the doctor's office. Clearly that did not work so well. <laughs> um, like it, it, I mean, it just, it's like a streak of black down my arm and it's just bruised all in the joint. I mean, it's, it's gross. My arm was aching when I went in there to speak, and I was like, "Man, this something's something's off," you know. But of course, I'd had like two espressos, and I was all hyped up from talking to people. Like, I went over to visit Erin at her work because I used to work over there. Yeah, and just you know, stop by and talk to people that I know have got their stuff together and are happy and you know cheerful. Yeah, and you know, then went on and did it because I knew I needed to get in the right headspace. And I was sitting there going, "Man, I'm 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 feeling pretty good with my arm. Holy crap, it hurts," you know. And I'm not exactly sure what happened with I've never I've never had somebody draw blood and do that to me. I mean, it's like a full on old man bruise, you know, like how. Where do you think old man get those bruises? It's from uh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, it's just um, that does happen from time to time. It it means that they didn't quite hit the vein just right. Yeah, and so they probably did some like probably scratched along the edge of it, so yeah. it bled into the compartment there. Yeah, and that's what caused the bruising. Yeah, it's it's gross. So uh, how about you? The day has finally come. I've got a new laptop. Woohoo! It was a tax-free weekend here in Tennessee. Also, woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> and Will and I went out and got me a new Asus gaming laptop. I, I've noticed we, you know, I've been doing some research and noticed that the high-end gaming laptops have the same specs as like a mobile workstation, but they tended to be just a little less expensive. Um, 
you know, they didn't come with if Windows Home versus Windows Pro, that kind of difference. And so it was enough of a difference to where I was looking at the gaming laptops to be able to get a better machine right. than I could afford with, with the, the mobile workstations. Anyways, I love the new laptop. It yeah. is awesome. Beach is just absolutely glowing about this. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like the, the speed, the, you know, it saved me an hour editing last night. I mean, that's just... And, it'll, and you'll be able to save tonight in like four seconds. And then that's go true. out the door instead of like, okay, let's talk about random stuff for 10 minutes because my laptop's saving. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's it's awesome. Got to wait for the carrier pigeons to drag those bits over to the drive. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, also have some news on my truck. I've been looking, uh, got the insurance money in a little while ago and I've been looking. Well, the police called me this past week and they caught the guy that stole my truck and they have it in the impound lot. Unfortunately, because I already cashed the check from the insurance company, I can't just get my truck back. But I do get to go and retrieve my personal items from it. So that's a little bit of a win. That's you a, also get to go to juvenile court. Yeah, because I was, uh, was a kid and they need me to come in and testify uh, about how bad he screwed up. Yeah. So uh, speaking of wins, I have something that's a win for .NET developers for IOTs. So let's go ahead and roll the music. This week for IOTs, I want to talk to you guys about the Netduino. It's a product that had been out for a while, and then they stopped making them, and they recently started up again with the Netduino 3. If you're like us, .NET developers wanting to get into the IoT world, but maybe not wanting to learn a new language or dust off your old C++ skills, this is the solution for you. The Netduino is a microcontroller very similar to the Arduino that uses the .NET micro framework to build apps. You can even write your code in Visual Studio on your computer or laptop. Uh, they are compatible with most Arduino hats and shields. Uh, you can get a full list from the link in the show notes. And the price range is from around $35 to $70. And you can even find them on Amazon. Nice. So check that out. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we grabbed an iTunes review from Kyle. I started listening to this podcast because a friend recommended it to me. I've been hooked ever since. Will and Beach produce great, high-quality podcasts with a wide variety of topics, from in-depth shows on Boolean algebra to soft skills, like preparing for interviews. My favorite episode so far has been the one on salary negotiations. Having perspectives from both an experienced dev and junior dev, along with the hilarious nature of the show, has made this one of my favorite podcasts. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, hey, thanks, Kyle. We we enjoy the variety. A lot of it comes from what we're dealing with at the moment or something that we think would be interesting that we see in our daily lives. Yeah, because I mean, like I keep the Kanban board open yeah. at work. When something hits, it just goes on the board. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's just easy, and we yeah, I think that kind of keeps it pretty real for everybody. Exactly. So, send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information, because we've got a Complete Developer water bottle just for you. And guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. We're also on Path and Tumblr. If you'd like to meet Will and myself, 
and possibly even come out and hear him speak, come down to Huntsville, Alabama for DevSpace Conference. It's North Alabama's premier polyglot technology conference. And in addition to Will, you'll also be able to hear talks on .NET, JavaScript, C++, and even some stuff on the Internet of Things and Arduinos and stuff like that. DevSpace is October 13th and 14th this year. Tickets are on sale now. If you want a 10% discount, use the code COMPLETEDEV or follow the link in the show notes. Again, that's DevSpace in Huntsville, Alabama on October 13th and 14th. Yeah, so we we put this on the Kanban board, I think pretty early on because you had you had described a problem to me over Hangouts and said, is this a bug? And it wasn't. It was like a cosmetic yeah. issue. It was very subjective. And so, you know, that that's how this got on there. And so we figured it'd be probably useful for the audience to, to kind of have this discussion. There's a lot of stuff that non-developers will call a bug when it's really not. So it, it would be good to kind of go through what an actual bug is and what these other things are um, so that you can learn how to make it clear to management that they're not bugs and triage them appropriately. Um, Cause you still have to deal with things that come up, even if it's not a, an actual defect, it's just the, the triage process is different. Exactly. And we're going to talk about a couple of different categories. We're going to start off with what a real bug is and then talk about some things that are not bugs, but may be presented as them such as schedule adjustments, cosmetic issues, feature requests, and security issues. So, what is a bug? It's a defect in the software when compared to your specs or if you're using Scrum, your acceptance criteria. It is something that is not working the way it is supposed to be working. Um, And the term originally comes from, you know, the really, really old computer days when somebody found a moth in, you know, physical hardware. And yes. it shorted it out like that was that was a bug. And it was literally a bug. Mm-hmm. And we've we've held on to this term for quite a while. Wikipedia defines it as an error, flaw, failure or fault in a computer programmer system that causes it to produce an incorrect or unexpected result or behave in unintended ways. And, you know, this definition is good enough for most purposes. However, if you're doing things like working on fixed bid projects that definition needs to expand to compare the output to what the product owner or the client asked for, rather than merely saying it was unexpected or flawed based on what they were thinking. Right. And if you've ever done, I know you've done fixed bid projects and I have too. You know, I've had one that was, I think it was for like a thousand bucks and I ended up working like 60 hours on this stupid thing because it just, there kept being bugs with air quotes and they weren't bugs. It was change the color on this. Oh, actually, this column doesn't have this kind of data and we didn't tell you. And it's those kind of things where it's like, okay, you screwed up on the specification. I did not screw up. And, you know, basically, I, you know, I, I got paid almost nothing per hour for the time mm-hmm. I spent on it. I um, mean, the whole hourly billing discussion is, a, is another thing on the side. But if you want to get away from being broke and having to work an extended amount of time for not much money, this is one of the places you have to start, you know, clearly explaining what a bug is. You know, in light of the specifications that created the program. I've also seen where you change the QA person halfway through a project and they come in and go, oh, well, I don't I don't like the way this is worded and all this like things that were done months back that have already passed QA. The product owner has already signed off on. They come back and say, oh, this should be worded different. This should be changed. And I've seen that happen. I've had that happen to me before. 
Yeah, and I mean they could find new bugs, right? Yeah, and like, like some of it was legit. They they found some misspellings and some comma placements that were incorrect. Yeah, but well, the English language could be treated as a specification. Yeah, but then some of it was. I don't think we should say please here, or I don't like this font. You know, and I don't understand why. Well, you know why that's such a big deal. Comic Sans ought to be good enough for anybody. I completely agree. Everything I do is in Comic Sans. <laughs> I, I develop in Comic Sans. You think in Comic Sans, actually. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the output, that's a bug, really. Unintended no, consequences. I'm, I'm kidding. I do not. I do not develop currently in Comic Sans. I have developed in Comic Sans just to mess with the, well, it was to mess with Cody when I first started working because I had to change the font in VS Code so that I could glance and tell the difference between VS Code and Visual Studio. If you have the same styles otherwise. Yeah. Because they're both dark theme, very similar. And so I wanted to be able to to know which I was in very quickly. He made fun of me for it. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So the next time he was coming over, it's pretty easy to change the fonts in VS Code. I changed it over to Comic Sans. That frustrated him because <laughs> he was trying to like help me debug something and it, it was bugging him that I it was like that. So I was like, oh, that bothers you? Let me change it to Papyrus next time. Yeah. <laughs> But again, that you know, that's not a bug. No, that's that's a prank. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think that as an industry, if we really want to grow up, we probably need to stop calling these things bugs and actually refer to them as defects. Yes. Because the, the term bug is not really loaded enough. A defect, you understand what that is, right? That's that's where, hey, you've got, you know, hard pieces in your steering wheel and when the airbag deploys, all of a sudden it becomes a claymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, that's a defect. It's not a defect that, oh, the, the paint's the wrong color. You know, it, it has to cause a problem. I think it would probably be more professional of us to refer to it as defects, although that idea does not seem to have gotten a lot of traction, unfortunately. Oh, no, because it's, it's easier to think of, it, it's, it's well, emotionally easier to think of them as bugs. Yeah, because, you know, well, I mean, like you get bugs you in your want- pantry, you didn't put them there. Uh, They're just you, there. There's bugs. You, you, you don't want to think that what you built is defective. Right. And this is just something that it's a little bit of a maturity thing. It's a little bit of a personality thing, but I know yeah. that, you know, what I build isn't going to be perfect. That's why we have the QA process. Well, and that's why you have pair programming, right? Because then you go over to your, you know, to somebody else's workspace and sit with them and you get them to alter the line that you know is busted and check it in. And they're the last one touched it. I don't know why they did that. then it's now it's a defect it's not a bug right like a defect is something that's in your code a bug is something that's in mine oh well i see (laughs) yeah but the other thing is that a definition of a bug is somewhat uh context dependent as is a defect a slight issue with graphics might just be a cosmetic issue if you have a simple um e-commerce site whereas if you're you know if you're some some brand that's really known for you know, the way they put things together and their color and the, and all that kind of stuff. Like I did some work on vanity fairs site. Okay. CSS issues were defects. Okay. Because that was, you know, that was part of the spec. Like they had, they, they had pixel widths and everything. I mean, they were hardcore. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the, the site I'm working on now, you know, the clients customize that anyway. Okay. I put in crappy CSS. Guess what? They can override it and they do. That's not a defect. Two different situations. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, other things that I've seen is, are that are not defects are, I don't think this button should be here. It should be over there. Right. And for the particular application, that didn't matter. But 
in some things. Yeah, I it could matter see. a lot. Yeah. Um, especially if it's, you know, supposed to match the rest of the site. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kind of, you know, use, you know, major usability issues are sort of a gray area. Yeah. Um, but if it, it that's, that's why we, we try to spec things out and we try to have a QA process and we try to have uh, user acceptance testing and those kind of things is so that the scope of things that could be a bug is limited to actual things that break the app, not just open-ended. The, the other thing I've seen is where QA tries to use, well, they try to lord it over the developers oh, sometimes. They, they there's do. not a there's not a better way to put that. I have I have literally heard a tester say the breakers here. Yeah. And wow, aren't you special, you know? Yeah. And and I don't get the attitude. And most QA folks are not like that. Like no, I've worked with some most, really good ones. I've worked with some that are like, dude, you're too anal retentive. It's I'm not going to mark this as a bug. Let it go. Yeah. Because I'm worse than they are. Um, in, in some instances, but another thing I've seen happen is, and this was really annoying, was when we're using another service and we get docked with bugs because that service has like some CSS issues or some wording issues, and it's like I have no control over that. That's we had something like that, and I, you know I don't want to get into too many specifics with a payment provider. Well, what happens? Okay, you're not, we're not wanting to hold this PCI data. So it comes up in an iframe. Well, they, they, they bring it up, you know, in the iframe and there, there was a spelling issue or there was either, either a spelling issue or wording issue or something. And they're like, Hey, this is a bug. And we're like, Hey, we can't do anything about it. It's not our server. That exact situation has happened to me. Yeah. And you know, it's like, okay, go, uh, go call that, uh, billion dollar company and ask them. And there's no, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't fix it. Sometimes a bug is, you know, it's context dependent in the sense that, you know, it's not yours. It's somebody else's bug. Yeah. And another thing I've seen is where your team is relying on something built by another team. Yeah. And their stuff has bugs in it. Yeah. Or you got a third party component. Yeah. I have a component that I've been fighting with. It's a jQuery query builder. And I've discovered that there's ways on this thing that you can you know, the user can make it dump out a value for the query that it's building that it can't read back in. I have to code around that. It's like, yeah, this is a bug, but it's not really, this is not my fault. It should be serializing and, and deserializing its own data yeah. correctly. Yeah. What am I supposed to do about that? No, I, I understand we've we've had some of those, some similar issues with... The- of course, I also figured out um, there was a way to fix it. I found that today after... A year and some change dealing with the thing. Yeah. Which was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> sure that wasn't in the docs before. So when you get bugs, how you handle them is important. Yeah. And you really need to do it as soon as possible based on the severity and the impact of the issue weighed against the difficulty of fixing it. Mm-hmm. Um, like if there's a workaround and it's it's a low, you know, low risk, you know, l- low problem type bug, you can let it sit for a little while. You don't have to drop everything you're doing. In fact, it's very unproductive to do that because you'll create another bug in the thing you were just working on and it'd probably be something worse. That's that's part of the reason it gets weighed that way, right? Mm-hmm. Usually what I do is we will we'll have several stories in a sprint and when one story gets done... Pop a couple bugs. And well, then, you know, it'll be QA. It goes to QA. Like, let's say the first story gets done, it goes to QA. I start working on the next one. When that one gets done, I go back and fix the bugs that came out on the first one. Right. And then go to the third one. And we plan that into... It's hygiene, not firefighting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing with bugs is if it's a fire, you put the fire out. If it's hygiene, 
you do hygiene. You know, you don't, nobody typically, like if you're driving to work and your house is on fire, you go back home. If you go to work and, oh, hey, I forgot to floss. Yeah, that sucks. But you're not going to turn around and drive 30 minutes because you forgot to floss. You might buy some floss at the store and do it when you get to the office, Fair right? It, yeah. It's it's that kind of triage process. Like you still get it done, but you're intelligent about it. Um, the other thing it doesn't mean is that you have you know death march type stuff. So typically a bug, you know, if it's if, if you're doing the working process like you're you're describing, hey, we're you know this is before release, you know we've got a nice pace, but you know let's say the software's out there for a year and then some bug comes up. Happens, yes. yeah. Um, it happens to everybody, believe it mm-hmm. or not. Even though, and especially to the people that say it never happens to them, that doesn't mean that you have to go to death march pace. Um, most bugs are not severe enough that you have to do that. And if you do do that on on every bug, when it matters, you won't be able to. Yeah, you'll be burned out by that point. Yeah, or you'll quit or something like that. So you, you've got to think about sustainable pace here, just the same as you do everywhere else. That said, there are, there are times when those kind of bugs. Yes. Or um, like, and we'll talk about security vulnerabilities in a minute. Sometimes there's a bleed over between that and what an actual bug is. And you got to deal with those. Like if it's going to cause somebody's bank account to get drained, you better hustle. So the first of the issues that are not bugs, but may be called bugs or listed as bugs is schedule adjustments. Well, this is not a bug. This is where the priority or timeline of a task was changed, sometimes abruptly changed. Yeah. And I know that's that's happened to me, not so much directly on task at that level, but... On features. Yeah. Where I was, like, I have been pulled off of a project for a sprint to go work on something else because we had a developer leave. And right. they had a deadline. They needed an API developer for a sprint to get them to their point, to the point they needed to be at. And, and mine had some wiggle room in it. Yeah. And I've had, you know, and schedule adjustments can also happen with bugs too, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you have a new client or a new potential client and they see that bug and they go, Hey, I'm not buying if this is not fixed. All of a sudden that bug that may be legitimately low priority became high priority. Yes. But a schedule adjustment sometimes will happen as well when other people fail to plan. I've, I've seen this at just about every place I've worked um, because it's easy to drop the ball. Like when you got enough stuff going on, you miss planning for one thing and then suddenly it's a crisis. You, you got to think about which, you know, which thing it is. This can also be context dependent. You know, sometimes a change in schedule is needed to keep the company afloat, but it shouldn't happen often unless you're like maybe in the early stages of a startup right the, it like when they're trying to figure out their par- uh, product market fit yeah that that's a moving target it's it's a like my vein was at the doctor's office <laughs> and somebody going to get bruised and you're the developer so it's going to be you yeah yeah that, that's pretty common when it's early stage the other thing that will do it is when you're the company you're working for is been going after smaller clients and they suddenly get a big one. You know, while those people have long timelines, they also have tremendous expectations and you got to start showing that, yes, we can execute, even if maybe you can't quite do it yet. So that's another place you'll get burned. You know, it, a schedule adjustment can also come when one of those kind of clients is leaving, when they've got the company over a barrel and they have 50%, you know, 50% of your sales go through these people. Well, you're going to have to have layoffs if they leave. So you got to fix that, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a bug or not. Um, so that's, that's how schedule adjustments occur. 
Sometimes it can also be from things like other developers, like you said, you know, leaving, uh, going on, on vacation. Uh, you know, I worked at one place where one of the other developers was there. She was, um, you know, she was pregnant. She was about six or seven months pregnant, I think. And she was going along and the plan was, hey, she goes till the baby comes out. Um, which, by the way, is a pretty dangerous way to plan things. Uh, you you kind of have to, but it's you, know, you need to have a backup plan. Well, their backup plan was, hey, we need a backup plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, she gets, um, I forget what she got, but and it was something with a long name, but she was stuck on bed rest and she couldn't code. She couldn't come in. And it was all of a sudden like she went for a routine doctor's appointment and they're like, go home. And suddenly, you know, I got pulled over to do her stuff. I mean, that can happen. It still has to be sustainable, right? You have people that are doing your project management should not be overbooking yeah. to the level where some little shift just throws the whole thing sideways. Unless and, you're legitimately like a small, you know, early stage startup and then you don't have slack. Well, I mean, the department I work for, it, we're, we've got six developers. And so... Yeah, more than we do. But still, we were stretched thin when we had someone leave. And that was a turning point when management realized, oh, we really shouldn't have as many projects going on at once. Right. And so they they did a restructuring. And I think the honestly, I think that led to a better system that we have now. Now it was tough during that time trying to, you know I remember. Yeah. And but now we have a pretty pretty good system with like set teams, set projects, and the developers actually have a say in the timeline and how long it's going to take to do a project. So we get we get a say in deadlines. Right. Which you should anyway cuz yeah. you're the experts. But like that that led to this system going into place and it you know like I said it was it was rough. It was a it was definitely a schedule adjustment because you know, I had to go learn a whole different business logic, right? Um, and for for that business, but we got it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've been through a few of those myself, and we got it. We got them into UAT, and that is going into production tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, we're down. We're down a man. Yeah. Uh, you know, recently, and mm -hmm. I've I've had to kind of double down on some things. Um, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, now, we do need to talk about how to deal with schedule adjustments because these are not bugs, um, but you still have to triage it, right? Yes. Like you and I both talk about it in the past tense, but it's like we didn't just drop everything and yeah. we didn't, you know, we, we didn't quit our jobs and switch um, in this case. <laughs> and others, I have. Yeah. And so that you don't have to have that, you know, we need to talk about how to deal with it. And the first thing I always like to do is ask management what the priority is. Um, in other words, go, okay, I'm working on X and you want me to do Y. Do you realize that's going to push the deadline? You know, that's going to push X getting done back by this amount of time, you know, yeah. or result in overtime hours if you, if you get those, which I don't. So, I mean, I work them. I just don't get paid for them. Yeah. And I, I've had those conversations. Yeah, and that, I mean that's that's the best way to do it because a lot of times, I mean they they a lot of times don't really have that in their awareness, um, especially if you're if you're really good and you're fast and you don't complain much, you know they'll just keep shoveling stuff on you, and it's not it's not so much it's like okay the squeaky wheel gets the grease and the wheel that doesn't squeak doesn't yeah I, I it's a it's a balance there too because 
you squeak too much, you get replaced. Right. You know? So you, you got to know how much is, okay, this is legitimately too much. I need to talk to them about this or find out what I need to prioritize. Yeah. Well, I always talk about, I always have the priority conversation mm-hmm. um, because that puts the ball back in their court. Because the other thing that can happen is they can say, oh, this is a schedule change and da 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 da. And they tell you about it. And especially when you have a manager that is maybe not super organized, they may tell you about it, but they think your coworker is going to do it and they're going to talk to them. And if you don't have that priority conversation, you start on it and then your stuff falls behind, even though you weren't supposed to be involved. Yeah. That's I've true. had that happen before too. So you I always can, do I the could priority. I totally see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. with re- remote teams. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing I've seen happen and I've had happen to me is getting pulled off of one project to work on another and then having QA pester me about the, the first one, the first one, and having to say, I am not on this. I can't do this. I can't answer your questions because you're distracting me from what I, what my priority is, what I've been told to work on. And you need to have that for management so that you can defend yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. The other thing you have to do is explain the cost of switching tasks and make sure that whatever you're on, you get to a good stopping point. Yeah. Make sure it compiles. Make sure that it works or that you have notes about what doesn't work and then check it in Mm -hmm. so that other people can take that up because you may get, you know, may get bumped around a little bit as things go forward. And so you need to have it in a good stopping place. You don't leave it on disk not compiling, halfway working, you don't remember what, and immediately switch. Oh, no. I no, mean, unless it's that. just it, unless it's just an absolute total, yeah. you, you absolutely cannot do that because you will spend so much time just trying to catch back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's going to make it rough. And management will not understand that unless they've been developers beforehand. Yeah. And they'll forget it if they haven't been a developer for more than like five or six years. That's not in their head anymore. Make sure to keep enough information to be able to get going again quickly when you start back on. Yeah, because you'd be surprised how much you forget, even just overnight. Oh, yeah. Um, there's plenty of times I stay late at work just because I'm working on something and I want it fixed before mm-hmm. I leave because I know I'm going to come in in the morning and it's going to derail me. Um, now, another thing that can come up are cosmetic issues. And I know you've encountered this. Yeah, I've encountered this a lot where QA testers think they're designers. Right. Or they say, oh, well, this this input field should be below that input field or... Yeah, and it's UX stuff and it yeah. matters. Well... Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it's real subjective too. When it's when it's the, the product owner or, you know, the, the end user coming in and saying, hey, the flow would be better if it was like this... Yeah, I'll 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 buy that because you're the one that's using it day in and day out. When it's QA coming in and saying this, I'm like, you really, yeah, you're not the one using this day in and day out. So if they tell me, oh, this flow works better for them, I'm not going to listen to QA who says, no, oh, it should be this way because this is the way I wrote my test case. Yeah, I've literally heard that. Yep, and I have re- too. My reply was rewrite your test case because this is the way the product owner wants it. Yeah. And it's your job to follow specs too. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the thing with tests and stuff is that it is code. This is a little bit of a complaint session here. Um, yeah. Like Beej and I are both a little bit, uh, a little bitter about this because we, we've seen this stuff drive users to panic, but a lot of times it's not stuff that's a big deal unless people can't get things done. So cosmetic issues are graphics or presentation issues that don't cause damage. They're not a lack of functionality. 
right. or misfunctionality. Yeah. Like if you pop up a modal dialog behind something and they can't get to it to close it and now the app is locked up, that's not a graphical issue. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. These things are like CSS issues, graphics that, you know, the client may not like. You know, this is why you do a wireframe and don't put, you know, colors in your wireframe. Right. <laughs> it's, so, it's so that you can put this kind of crap off because it gets in the way. Yeah. You, you need to build the app and make it work and then you can make it pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you don't want to, you don't want to try to paint something up and then start working on it because you scratch the paint. Yeah. It's that same kind of concept. Oh, yeah. And just like the other stuff we've talked about, this is context dependent too. If the cosmetic issues are bad enough, they may be costing money or damaging to the brand. Yeah. And that can be serious. Yeah, because if you go to a website and, you know, it's been it's been reworked and it looks like it came from 1998. <laughs> um, and so, y'all know I've been looking for a truck. I sent this uh, website yeah, to Will. That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> and they didn't, nowhere on the website was the, the car lot's address or anything or any way to contact them other than their contact page. Yeah, that, that website did not look like it was from 1998, though. It looked like it was from 1995. Like, I expected to see the Mosaic logo on the bottom somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I sent them a message and... I was a bit snarky with this message, but, you know, I, I said, hey, I I really like this one truck on your site, but I can't find any information about your actual location to come visit it. Could you please send this to me? Also, really loving the retro 90s look of the website. It reminds <laughs> me of the stuff I used to build in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was that was rather snarky. But <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's it's like that backhanded compliment thing that seems to make people move a lot more than uh-huh. you know being direct. So it it may end up happening. You may be rewriting a uh, website for a auto <laughs> dealer. That would be funny. Hey, if it gets me a discount on a truck, I won't complain. Yeah, or well, if it pays me. Either way, I'll, I'll uh, you know. Yeah. Which, by the way, guys, now that I got a new laptop, I'm back on the market for freelance. Oh yeah. A few ways to deal with cosmetic issues that are not bugs. First, look for a workaround. You know, this gets the emotional pressure off of the situation because non-developers, they really can't tell the difference a lot of times between data not being in a control and data not existing. Yeah, and that, that... That's pretty important because, like, if you have a screen and the data is not showing up, okay, that's a cosmetic issue. If the data is not there, that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. It could be like, hey, look, you go to this other screen, there's the data. You could bring it up in another window and do whatever you have to do. Yes, it's clunky and you got to work around it and it's annoying, but you're not dead in the water. Yeah, and now that's that is one thing that, so far as cosmetics that QA does get that is good is they will make sure that the data is coming back and forth from the database. Right. So, and they're starting to get better about actually going into the database and looking to see if the data goes into it. Yeah. And our, ours does a pretty good job of that. Um, as well, well, our QA is, he's a developer. Um, oh. So that, that helps quite a bit. I mean, he's, he's a junior dev. Um, but yeah, understanding the difference between those two things is a really, really big deal. Or like, okay, this element is not accessible. Well, I can go to this other page and I can click this link and I go to wherever that was pointing. Okay, you've got a way in. We're not saying it's ideal, but you're not dead in the water. That that calms everything down. That keeps the you know the managers that freak out. That mm-hmm. keeps them off your back. 
you've got room to maneuver now. And, and that's that's the big thing about trying to find workarounds. It's it's not about actually really fixing the workflow, although it somewhat is. It's more about getting people off your back so you can actually fix the problem without screeching. The the best one that I've seen happen is this button's not working. This button's not working. Let's click, click it five thousand times. Yeah, and I like I'm sitting there watching him do it, and I'm like, all right. Have you ever been tempted to like write like a general purpose JavaScript that loads on every page that says, "Hey, once this thing is clicked, disable it." We've started doing that now. Yeah, because of that kind know, of stuff. That that kind of stuff because it's literally we haven't built the functionality yet. Like it's that is not in this story. It's in the next one that we haven't built and yet. You got the button to, showing. Yeah, or or the it's thing. Like, it's like a save or submit button. Okay, and so here's what happened. See, what happened was... Yes, here's what happened. You know, we finished one story, it gets the page built. The next story is what happens after you click submit. You know, the redirect and building that stuff. So, send that to QA. QA comes to me with the bug. Here, look, and clicks the button like 500 times. I'm like... It didn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere because that is what I'm working on now. I told you this when I sent it to you. It's not going to go th- anywhere, but it is still saving. Yeah, I wish I almost wish we'd had a category for just like coworkers that don't understand process. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. So, then same person who did this and was explained, it saved every time you clicked that button, goes in and runs the report and goes, "Well, why is this information in here 500 times?" Cuz you clicked 500 times. Because you clicked the button 500 times. Well, this just throws my test cases completely off. I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't have done that when I told you not to do that. Yeah. Now go stand in the corner. My favorite on this too is where you'll you'll set up something like a button and somebody forgets to put a message that says, hey, this was successfully saved or to do some kind of UI feedback. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, this is a cosmetic issue. It's also, it blurs into the edge of being a bug. Yeah. Like, especially when you start talking about double submission of payments and things like that, people get real cranky real oh, fast. Yeah. Um, it can be a bug in that situation. In other situations, it's like, hey, don't don't double click that. That's, that's why I was I was saying that. It's like, yeah, this was this led to us just being, all right, we're disabling this button from now on. If your organization's big enough to have a graphics CSS group or a UX team that does stuff separately and that isn't your jam, you can pass this off to them. Um, because I'm, I'm strongly of the opinion and I know this is controversial, but if it's not my problem, it's not a problem. <laughs> but you also have in here that you can pass these off to junior developers or interns who are just starting out. Yeah. I'm uh, going to be the one passing this off and I'm the junior developer. So <laughs> yeah. But I mean, especially, you know, when you get somebody that's just starting and they yeah. need a, um, you know, they, they need a small slice of the app to work in. These are perfect for them. That's true. When I very first started, my first task in the API was writing unit tests. Yep. That's probably what I would have put you on, too. Was great because I got to know the app really well from doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing to think of here is that these can also be an advantage for you if, if you know how to react to them. Um, and and that's, that's the big thing. Next are feature requests. And these are things that people want added to the existing code. I've had a lot of times where I was told, well, it should do this. I was like, yeah, but that's... It parses CSV, but it can't parse Excel. This is a bug. Did you specify that it needed to parse Excel? No. It's a feature request. Um, you need to do a statement of work, and you know we're going to estimate the hours, and we're going to bill you accordingly. 
because this you know this can hit your financials if you start trading feature requests like bugs. That's why it's important. Because you know, again, if I'm okay. fixing software that's that's been deployed to our clients and there's a bug in it, that goes into one bucket. Whereas yeah. if I'm developing a feature, it's like, hey, this is this is R and D. This is an R and D cost. I see what you're saying. It's where where the money comes from. Yeah, and it's also it, it's it's also like how you uh, expense it out. So like if you spend a hundred thousand dollars on R and D, it doesn't necessarily all go into this year. Whereas if you fix, you know, if you spend hundred thousand dollars fixing bugs, it's like okay, that was a cost for this year. Versus the R and D, you can kind of you can yeah. play games with it and basically you know span it over five years. Okay. Um, and and write off against it and those kind of things. So the accountants like to play games with this. It really shouldn't be our problem, but it is because it floats up to us. Yeah. And there are also times when you're going to get requests for additional features that they can be done pretty quickly. And this has happened a lot. Like we're almost ready. You know, we are going to production tomorrow. And last week I found out, you know, that, oh, we were supposed to have built this, and this was the developer that was there before me that left, was supposed to have built this but never got around to it. Yeah. Because it wasn't ever a real story. It was just, you know, the the <laughs> functionality is on the front end, but the there's no API for it. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, technically that's not a bug. That's a new feature because there was never anything there. But it it took me probably an hour and a half to build. So it wasn't yeah. it wasn't anything big. And I've... I've this has happened to me, and that's what what I'm getting at here. Is- well, you can really make a difference in somebody's life with a line of code sometimes. And if that's yeah. the feature that they want, and you can roll it out with a line of code. Now, granted, you still have to test. You still have to do all that. So, there's all the other stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. how hard or easy it is for us is not always the entire picture. That's very true, yeah. Um, so, you, you got to bear that in mind. But a lot of times, yeah, it's, it's easy enough. You're like, okay, yeah, let's put it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you still get authorization, obviously, because... It may be that, you know, a direction that you don't want the product to, or the management doesn't want the product to go. But yeah. if it is something you can do, just go ahead and pop it. Be done with it. And this particular one was, I was actually, I had kind of gone into a pseudo code freeze where I was just not developing anything new, just doing bug fixes. And I was helping them by going through the app and just making sure that every different option was working. And I ran across this one obscure thing that I'm like, this doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, and I, I contacted the the front end developer who has even less experience on this app than I do. I was like, "What is this supposed to do?" He's like, "I don't know. Let me go through the docs and find out." And so he told me. I said, "There is no endpoint for that whatsoever." He's like, "How how much work would it be to build one?" I'm like, "I've already got it built." <laughs> yeah, and when you can say that, it's just like, yeah, whatever, you know. And and you go on. I mean, and that that's probably the best way to deal with it if it's if it's small enough. Yeah. I will say that if it's a bigger feature request, you do need to run it by somebody who has control of the schedule and Oh yeah. I mean it should it should go through whatever process you have. Like with with us, we're doing very strict kind of scrum with a Kanban board. And so something like that, and we we've told QA this before too, is that's not a bug, that's a feature. Don't make it a bug we've gotten to the point now where sometimes QA comes to the developers and says, Hey, I'm confused about the acceptance criteria is what is this a bug or is this a feature? Yeah. And the, our process is okay. If it's a feature, you put it in as a story in the backlog and then the scrum master and PO will go through those and 
They'll see who put it in there. They'll contact you if there's they need information, create acceptance criteria, and then it goes through the backlog refinement and like this whole process, right? Until we actually commit to doing it. Yeah, and it gets prioritized. That's yes. that's the other big thing. Yeah. Um, now I've also had situations come up where somebody goes, "Hey, I'd really like this service to be, you know, like I have a, we have a service that sends emails, mm-hmm. and I would like it to be multi-threaded and scale up to however many cores we have." Yeah. Right. Like, and that came in as a feature right after I'd rewritten the service. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, it does that because I'd put that in there. It's not rocket surgery, but I, I built it that way because, yeah. you know, like, why, why would I build it any other way? Sometimes people will ask for features and it will get all the way to you. And it's actually something that support should have handled and they didn't know it was in there either. And that's part of the reason you go ask management because, like, if you see it and you go, hey, I, this is, it already does this. You don't want to go start right. You know, I start writing that because obviously that's going to feel pretty stupid. Yeah, I um, I've had something similar to that happen where it was the lead front end developer said, "Hey, they've asked for this on the front end. Can you give me an endpoint to get this information?" I'm like, "It's already there. Here, here it is." He's like, "What?" And I'm like, "When I create stuff, it's, it was just one of the default things." Yeah, you know, like you you get your get by ID kind of things. It was just you know a default I put in every controller. Because it could be used, and it doesn't take much just to throw that in. And he's like, "Oh, it's it already, in the it's, template." Yeah, it's 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 already there. I'm like, "Yeah, all of my controllers are going to have that." He's like, "Oh, that saves me so much time." Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, it just you know." So, um, you know, and and the big thing too is to make sure you get the adequate specifications um, before mm-hmm. you start. Um, you don't want to get into the mode of, "Oh, somebody asked for this. Let's just drop everything and do it right now." No, um, especially on new that. features, because, hey, you don't know who's paying for it. For instance, you know, people that are asking for solutions to NP hard problems that, you know, you, you can't do it because Google can't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've I've had those conversations, too, where it's just like, that's that's not possible. The final one we're going to talk about are security issues. And these are issues that allow people to access or change data that they shouldn't be allowed to access. Um, and this can be anything from, you know, forgetting to secure part of the website, like in, you know, in .NET, at least in web forms, you know, there's a section in there where you can say who can get to different things. If you forgot part of it, you know, hey, that's security hole. You know, can you imagine a bank website that says, oh, yeah, I can go to the checking page for anybody? Yeah. You know, and it's just a config, but, you know, hey, that's a security hole and you got you to gotta deal with it. Um, and in that case, it would be a that's a bug in process for getting things out because that should have been tested. Like that fell down in QA. It can be stuff like that. It can be things like SQL injection, uh, cross-site request forgery, uh, cross-site scripting attacks that, you know, and those kind of things that can require you to change code. Mm-hmm. It's a toss up whether these are properly called defects. A lot of times they are. Um, sometimes they're not like in the payments example that I was talking about earlier. If, if you bring up an iframe for a payment provider and it's got some kind of security hole in it. It may not be your software. It's just showing up there. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a security hole for you. Now you gotta, you gotta pass it on and get it to the people that need to know about it. Right. That That's your role here. But it, your role is not to try to write JavaScript that accesses the iframe and does stuff to it to try to fix what they screwed up. It can also be vulnerabilities in components that you're using, particularly on the web. Like it's gotten a lot better. Um, there were, there were, in, there were issues in, you know, IIS. There have been some issues in Apache, you know, some of those things. It's like, Hey, I don't write IIS, but I've got to figure out how to secure things. You may have to uh, work on the recommendations for how to fix the issue, but it's not you. 
a lot of times too, this can be stuff that is a risk that comes in from outside of the application. Like your users are editing HTML documents on the web. Mm. Okay, cool. They're editing an HTML document. They include an advertisement. That advertisement goes to a advertising account that occasionally serves malware. Well, uh, you know, you do have to protect against that because, you know, again, in a large yeah. enough population of people, you're going to have somebody do that. But is that a bug with your code? Well, not really. It's a feature that wasn't put in there because that's something that should have been fixed. Like that should have been thought of further up the pipe. It's not just a developer problem. Yeah, exactly. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. Security issues usually require prompt response. Um, there's regulatory requirements and there's also, you know, a significant risk of loss in, in many cases. You know, mm-hmm. like, let's say your site is, you know, something minor. You know, it's, you know, bowtie beaches, um, how to tie knots, you know, bowtie knots, right? And it's a course that you've got and, you know, it's for free, right? And you've got a lo- you've got to log in and all that because you want them to have an email address in yeah. there and, and all this stuff. Well, okay, they log in. Oh, there's a vulnerability on your site that allows disclosure of usernames and passwords. Well, for you, that's not a big deal. Ooh, they learned how to do what I could go to wikipedia and learn how to do because that's where i got it (laughs) right but now you have usernames and passwords and people reuse those Mm -hmm. and somebody reused it their bank of america account username and password that would be not wise but and their senior vp yeah of bank of america who's known for wearing bow ties and all of a sudden somebody gets that and they go into bank of america like these things chain up into very bad things in a hurry totally um, so that, that's why people get really anal retentive about it, and it does yeah. have to be fixed. Yeah, you're you're gonna have to deal with these, and you probably have to stop what you're doing and fix it. Yeah, I had to not all that long ago for an issue. You, you need to make sure you can quickly get back to what you were doing after it's over, though. Yeah, but you better take your notes quick. Oh yeah, <laughs> because a lot of places, um, if you're selling, um, sh- you know, not necessarily shrink wrap software, but you know, you're a software company that's providing software to clients. Um, there may actually be SLAs involved, mm-hmm. like, hey, you have to fix security bugs within 90 days. Yeah, that's, which is an obscene amount of time to be frank. You know, because once a bug is discovered, you know, let's say that your client discovers it and they go, okay, here's a cross-site scripting vulnerability in your software. Okay, the client discovered it. You have 90 days to fix it. That's three months. Cool. But somebody over at the client site is a little skeezy and they get wind of it and they sell it to some hackers. You, you, you know, regular from a regulatory and contractual obligation standpoint, you may have 90 days from a reality standpoint, you might have two. So like you, you gotta, you gotta get on this. Mm -hmm. This is not, this can very quickly become something that's very hard to handle. Uh, There should be some detail on the vulnerability Including steps to reproduce and how to test it. Yeah. And don't start without those. And this is one of the things that is big, not just with security, but with almost everything when it comes to bugs, real defects is I have many, many times said, I can't reproduce this. Yeah. And it turned out it was something, some weird setting on the person who was doing its computer. Of course, one thing that we Or they're running an old version. Yeah. Then it's already fixed. Yeah. Uh, We've had that happen. And the other thing is, if you can't reproduce it, like, you need to be able to test that and have a fairly tight loop when you're Mm -hmm. working on it. Like, you don't need to go, okay, let me fix this, and it compiles, and I'm going to send it to QA, and QA is going to test all the things, and then they're going to send it to the client, and the client goes, hey, it still failed the security test, like, four days later. And that's if you have a tight loop for that. Like, that does not work. You've got to get that 
tightened up, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, another thing with security issues is when you're triaging one of these, start thinking about where this approach was used in other places in your app. Go look for those and, and get ahead of it. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's worth the time to do this. You know, sneak it in however you have to. Because a pretty good sized chunk of the programmers out there love to copy and paste. And if they don't copy and paste, they have one screen up and then they type on the other one. And so the same approach will get used in multiple places. And so if you're oh, seeing if you're seeing one cockroach, there's more than one cockroach. I'm just too dadgum lazy for that. I'm like if I have to use it more than once. Yeah, I'll I'll refactor it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll abstract that out. Um, and and that can possible. also you know prove something too is okay. You fixed it in a you know you fixed in one path, oh. but you've got a you've got it calling something <laughs> and. You know, if you break it here, you need to figure out where else is calling in there because you All may right. introduce a problem. All right, final story, and this one's this one's funny on me. Okay, so built a a service, and I know I've talked about this uh, several months ago when we were first working on it. But I built a service that will call our reporting service, get a PDF, put it into an email as an attachment. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard of this service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Another API developer and I worked on this. Like she, she built the actual in API endpoints to call to the reporting server and get the PDF. And I built the the client side surface, the the part that goes into our APIs. Um, right, goes out on our DMZ. And so uh, we we worked in tandem on this. And I I used that same service when. One of um, one of the apps I was working on, they wanted the employees when they're going in to review um, a customer's application, they want to be able to print a PDF of the application. So I use the same service. It's just it's the same thing, hitting the same report and everything. I'm like, I abstracted it out. I used it in a couple of places as like calling that static class. What I forgot to do was replace the original code that I'd written for that email service. Yep. With that call to the static class. So it still worked until we went to UAT. And at that point, we went from having everything on the same server to going to multiple servers and it couldn't go across the pipe. Yep. It didn't have the, that one area because I kept changing it and changing it. I could not for the life of me. I worked for about a day and a half on this. And finally, I kind of, ate a little crow and got in touch with the other developer and said, Hey, I don't know what's wrong. Will you take a look at my code? Because yours is working, you know, because there, there've been times like we, we learned a lot of things throughout the process of this, but like your code's working for some reason, I'm not sending you the right thing or something. And she goes in and sees it immediately because she followed the path and it took her right there. And she's like, you don't have any UAT information here. I'm like, yeah, I do. And she sends me, the the path to that and I'm like well that's not where it is and I go in there and I'm like sure enough yep. it didn't have the call it had the code that was in you're that. running in the wrong context yep so as soon as I saw that I'm like I know the problem thank you I feel so stupid like she's like don't feel stupid I've done the same thing you've caught me on doing the same thing <laughs> yeah I mean and that's that's one thing I really like about the people I work with is yeah, we're we do have that good like help each other out kind of thing. Yeah, it's real I, easy to do that with a security vulnerability. Yes, it is. Because you're already in panic mode. Yeah. 
Like, that's the one thing you've got to avoid. So, guys, if you're developing software for any length of time, you've probably encountered situations where a bug occurs and everybody freaks out. You've also probably encountered situations where people have referred to things as bugs when you knew they weren't. You need to be able to handle both bugs and other situations well and be able to triage those things that aren't bugs that can still cause you problems. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, speaking of triage, the worst time to triage anything is in the heat of the moment. Usually it's better to think about what can go wrong in advance and how you're going to deal with it. And and this applies to bugs, but it also just, it's just a general principle of being an adult. Like, I don't know how many people that I know that if they have a 20 minute uh, drive to get somewhere, they leave at like 21 minutes before they have to be there. Well, what happens? Well, two stoplights can make you late. Um, and that's a foreseeable consequence. Uh, you don't want to be living your life this way. Think about what can happen. Put a buffer in. Figure out, okay, maybe I should leave 30 minutes before I have to be there because it's going to take 20. It's not wasting very much time, but I am prepared adequately in case something happens. Figure out an alternate route. Do those kind of things. Something I've just noticed a whole lot um, in my social circle is people that don't seem to plan ahead. And because they don't plan ahead, it becomes everybody else's problem. And you really don't want to be doing that um, in a professional environment or just in general. Like it's a pretty hard way to live your life. If you don't act with discipline, you tend to be ruled by people who do. So it's far better to just get ahead of things. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Look for us each week on Facebook Live before we record each episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.